Welcome back to JB Squared, stage nine of the 2023 Tour de France. I'm JB Hager, and I am here to, uh, you know, question and, and, and lead Johan Bernil to, to help us navigate what the heck's going on in the Tour de France. It's such a complicated sport, and we're lucky to have Johan here to make sense of things, especially not just with individuals, but with team tactics as well. And we'll get it get into all of that with what happened today at stage nine and, and a look ahead. But first, a um, couple offers from our partners. Today's show is brought to you by Ventum Bikes. Of course, you've heard about the new GS1, the gravel bike. They just revamped it. Um, I actually just got one of those a few weeks ago. I'm sorry, a few months ago. Been having a blast with it. It is so much fun. It's a different ride. It's it's just a cool thing. You can go different places and do different things you just couldn't do on your NS1. What's really incredible and miraculous to me is that you can get into this GS1 for just $29.99, just under three grand, starting with the SRAM Apex AXS. You're on the road for three grand on the exact same frame, if that it might be a $15,000 version of the bike. Uh, it's really, really cool. And their website is just so great at helping you do the build out. Um, there's a lot of helpful things to help you pick the right geometry, the right size. Like I'm on a medium, I was somewhere between a medium and a medium large. And then when you start plugging in all your info from an old bike fit or whatever info you have, you go, Oh, okay. I'm on, I'm a medium large. I need this length of stem. I need, I like this length of crank. I want this wheel upgrade or not this set of components. And it's really fun to play with it. Uh, just do the whole build out on your bike on their site. And uh, you can get 10% off your bike. When you use this code W E D U use the code we do at checkout at ventumracing.com slash the move and keep paying attention during this tour. We're doing the trivia every day. Every time you submit a right answer via email, they draw a winner from that each day. And those names go into the final drawing for a brand new NS1. Again, 10% off when you use the code we do at checkout ventumracing.com slash the move. Today's show is also brought to you by HVMN. They're the creators of Ketone IQ. Uh, I know we've talked and I mean, we've been talking about ketones IQ for a few years now, and we always seem to talk about the physical benefits, having another fuel source, uh, when you're out riding, racing, doing whatever you do. What I became particularly interested in uh, with ketones IQ is the uh, mental effect. And so I've been taking a daily shot for two to three months now, and, uh, they actually have the science to, to show you that the clean fuel can cross the blood brain barrier. It gives your brain uh, sustained energy, mental focus, and sharpness. And I can attest to that. I definitely have felt more alert, more total confession. Haven't been on any ADD medication for three or four months now. So, and doing all right, getting by. And I do have a ketone IQ to credit for a lot of that support I obviously needed. They're now available in Sprouts if you want to pick it up locally. And if you have a Sprouts uh, somewhere in the U.S., you can just grab them there. Or you can do a subscription uh, online to have them sent regularly, which I would recommend. Try it for two, three months for sure. Uh, and you can save 30% on your first subscription order to Ketone IQ at hvmn.com slash the move. Again, visit hvmn.com slash the move and subscribe upon checkout for 30% off. 
Okay, Johan, stage nine, let's start out with some historical information. It was a, a significant stage start and actually has something to do with what we talked about yesterday, but I'll let you go ahead and fill everybody in on some of the ceremony that took place this morning or this after it would have been afternoon there, I guess. Yeah. But. yeah. So um, stage nine, you know, 182 kilometers um, finish on Puy de Dome, as we know, but especially also start in a, a little town called Saint-Léonard de Nobla, which was the hometown of Raymond Poulidor. We spoke a lot about Raymond Polidor yesterday. Uh, he was super, super popular because he was the guy who mostly lost to Jacques Anquetil while Jacques Anquetil was winning his five tours. And then he kept riding when the new era began of Eddie Merckx, who also won five tours. Mm -hmm. And so he was the second here and then a few times second there. And so he was so super, super popular, never won the tour, but was the most popular rider in France. I think ever um, sadly passed away a few years ago. Um, granddad of, of Marty van der Poel, as we know. Um, and so this morning the Tour de France honored him with, there was a special ceremony uh, and uh, Mathieu van der Poel was there also present. Um, and they had, I saw some images. They had Raymond Poulidor's old bike, like a pink Mercier bike that, the, you know, typically he was with Mercier, which was a very, long-lasting sponsor of a, of a team. It's a bike brand. Uh, and they had pink Mercier bike. So they had one of his original bikes there. And then Mathieu van der Poel was there with a special made bike just for today, for the occasion. So as you can see in the pictures here, uh, his team and, and bike sponsor were, were kind enough to produce this special one-off bike um, for today, honoring Raymond Poulidor. On the head tube, uh, we have... That famous picture we talked about yesterday, the, the battle between Anquetil and Poulidor on the Puy de Dome. Um, that's the head tube. And then on the rear stay, it says Merci Poupou, um, as you can see here. So I think that was very, very nice, very emotional for Mathieu. Uh, obviously, it was not a stage for him today, uh, but but I'm sure he was super, super proud to be there. And, um, you know, we, we saw all how emotional he was two years ago when he won that stage in honor of his granddad. Obviously, two years have passed, but uh, he I know he had a very, very close connection to Pulidor, and uh, it was it was really nice to see that uh, the whole cycling world basically is honoring this this big champion from the past. That's cool. i'm I'm I don't know if you know the answer to this, but what did Pulidor do after his race career ended? Did he stay in the industry? well, he he did all kinds of things, but as you know, until the year before he died, he was all the time at the Tour de France. He was an ambassador ambassador for, I don't remember which brand it was, uh, but he was always at the start, always at the at the the, the VIP village, signing autographs, uh, always dressed in yellow, because it was the color of the sponsor. And you know, ironically, he never wore the yellow jersey. But yeah. after his career, he was always dressed. I've never seen Pudidor in anything else than yellow, <laughs> myself. So yeah, he was he was very present and uh, he was he was always around. Very very polarizing uh, personality. Well, and I love how uh, we've seen it in the past. You know, when Vanderpool won his first Tour de France stage win, his emotion he just seems to have such a, a fondness and appreciation for the heritage, not yeah. just with his grandfather, but the sport in general. Like mm -hmm. 
uh, it's it's just fun to watch. It's really fun yeah, to no, watch. No. So today must have been for him a very emotional day. Uh, but on the on the good side, you know, not 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 a sad day, but you know, celebrating the history and the legacy of of his uh, of his family and his granddad. That was um, must have been very very special. Today was also historical. Twentieth anniversary of twentieth anniversary of the first ever yellow jersey by a Latin American writer, or, you know, we do member Victor Hugo Peña, El Tiburón. Um, today was uh, 20 years ago, and tomorrow is his birthday. I remember back ah. then, he, he he took the yellow jersey, and the day after it was his birthday. So it was it was amazing. And uh, I saw it on, on, on his uh, social media, and I thought we, we should definitely mention that, because for him and for uh, you know, Colombian and, and Colombia and Latin American cycling. That was really, you know, they had all these good riders before, but never anybody had wore the yellow jersey. And so uh, 20 years ago today, the 9th of July, 2003, I can still ah. remember it that we won the team time trial. And we we talk about, I talk about it a lot with Victor Hugo. You know, he was, uh, and Lance was actually really, you know, pep talking to him. Um before the start of the time trial, but still during the team time trial, we won that team time trial. And he was always, every time he passed Victor, he said, do you want yellow? Do you want, because we knew, we knew that if we would win the team time trial, then Peña would be in yellow because he had been the best of the team in the prologue. Mm. So that was the reason. Oh, that's awesome. Does it feel like 20 years ago? (laughs) You know what? I mean, JB, there comes a time, you know, that, Anything you talk about feels like it makes you feel so old. I'm at that st- that, page, that stage now that <laughs> I don't even think anymore how many years. That just makes me I feel know. old. I know. I <laughs> know. It freaks me out sometimes too. Uh, okay. Let's let's talk about today's stage, that breakaway. And I shared this on the move. When that breakaway went on our move text thread, George asked, oh, who do we, who's, who's going to win from this break? And you, I think you wrote like probably Woods, <laughs> and that was almost three hours before the finish. So you well, you had you had called it when you saw that break. I mean, for me, when I saw the composition of the breakaway, uh, it was clear that he, for, for me he was the, the strongest climber. Um, but you know, a big group. What was it? Fifteen riders, more or less, fifteen riders, and then they take you know close to. Um, first 10, 12 minutes, finally 15 minutes and more. Uh, and you have Woodson, uh, Michael Woodson there, you have Lutsenko, you have Matthew, Matteo Jorgensen, you have Nelson Paulus, uh, and some other, Mohoric, uh, you know, so there, there were some really, really strong guys in there. Uh, but I just felt like Michael Woods um, is one of those riders that he had a difficult start of the season through illness or injury, I don't know. And he came into form right at the the, the, the moment. He won um he won a, a small stage race uh just before just before the tour um and so you know he he hadn't been racing that much just before the tour and he came into in, into form and yeah i felt like he would he would be the best uh the best guy but um you know when you're 15 riders uh and and it's so far to go a lot of things can happen and so i was you know okay now in hindsight it feels a bit weird to 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 talk about this but and e but even if they even if they won the stage uh israel and and michael woods 
Um, I think they really owe it to a super, super strong Michael Woods on the one side and the fact that Matteo Jorgensen, who is also an extremely strong rider, was out there for so long. I mean, he, he attacked with 48 kilometers to go. Uh, so basically, 35 kilometers before the start of the last climb had to give them a, a lot. And so the fact that Jorgensen really, really, really had to pay the price in the last three kilometers of the climb, plus a strong woods, gave that victory. But when I saw during the stage, I mean, I'm sorry I have to say this, you know, but uh, the tactics of Israel, first, they have two riders in the breakaway of 15. So uh, plus, you know, one of them is their designated rider for the breakaway. To me, it looks like they had it planned. I heard... Mm -hmm. An interview of uh, Rick Verbrugge, who is the 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 team manager, the general manager, um, and um, or the sports manager, and he said, you know, that they had a goal today, and that they wanted Woods to be in the breakaway, and that you know, they, and then they had two guys in the breakaway: Woods, Canadian guy, and uh, Boivin, another Canadian rider, strong rider. And and so, if you have that situation, it it looks like wow, this is great, you know. So now, what what do you need to do? You have the 15 riders, such a long way to go. You need to make sure that Woods gets with as much possible possibilities to the bottom of that climb. Next thing I see straight after that interview is uh, because I'm, I'm, as I said, I'm in Belgium. So he, the guy's Belgian. I heard his, his interview. Next thing I see, Guillaume Bovin from Israel, Premier Tech, teammate of Michael Woods, attacks is out there for on his own, but for, I don't know, three, four kilometers. I said, and this was 60K to go. I said, what the hell are they doing? What is this? You know? So you have to think if you have the main candidate, because as you said, you know, I said, Woods Woods has the best, best chances here. Right? What, what was this? 100K to go when the tax came in? Um, and so uh, then you have this teammate attacking with 60K to go. So you, you basically... You isolate your main guy. You have this this guy up front, and on, so he's spending energy that he may need later to correct the situation. And on top of that, you kind of start to provoke that with that attack. There comes a lot of other attacks, and you have the risk that your main guy all of a sudden gets trapped into a seven eight guys in the back, and there's another seven guys in the front, and your main guy is not there. So. I thought, you know, I, I thought straight away, why do they not call this guy back to the to the group? You know, they kept they let he kept going. So I found that really strange. And up up to some point, it looked really like then Jorgensen went uh, amazing ride, amazing ride from Jorgensen, uh, forty eight kilometers. Um, you know, and then the, and then the group behind broke up in two pieces. There was four riders with Mohoric. And Nielsen Paulus and the French, the Burgodeau, and then the Spanish guy of Astana who had a flat. And Woods was there stuck in the back with these other seven or eight guys. And, and he had, and, and in the meantime, his teammate, Guillaume Bovin, was dropped because he was out front. And I said, I said, see, I was I was already preparing my speech for. JB squared <laughs> just uh, and, wasted and, energy and wasted effort. Well, I mean, then luckily, I mean, for them, luckily, Woods was incredibly strong today. 
Uh, he did an amazing last climb combined with, you know, the, the, the fall, the, 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 I mean, the break, the breakdown of, of Matteo Jorgensen, they won the stage, but it's not because of, I mean, man, sometimes I see things that I say, Oof, this is, this is, this is not smart. Uh, but sometimes, you know, being strong only is enough to win a bike race, uh, which, which was, and I'm not blaming this on, on, on Woods, by the way. Yeah. Um, Woods right. raced perfectly and, uh, did what he had to do, but they could have assured they, they could have put more things on their side. Um, yeah. so yeah, I mean, that was my, that was my rant of the day. <laughs> okay. This is what's great. This is what uh, makes JB squared special is more of the tactical things, the good and the bad. Uh, so I like that. Uh, so let's, uh, I want you to tell us, tell our audience more about Michael, Michael Woods. Uh, he came into racing much, much later. And as Lance mentioned on the, on the movie, he was quite the runner, but give us a little history of, uh, Michael Woods. It's interesting. Yeah. So, um, Mike Woods, uh, by the way, is now, uh, with this stage victory is now, uh, the oldest stage winner in the Tour de France since 1974. Whoa. Guess who it was? Raymond Poulidor oh, wow. was the oldest stage winner. And now, since then, Mike Woods is the oldest stage winner, 36 years old. Um, so he came late to professional cycling. I, I think, I, I mean, I don't have the correct, but I would say somewhere like 25 years old, which is relatively late. And But he was an athlete. Uh, I read somewhere that he first he started as uh, like playing ice hockey at a high level, at a high level. The sport didn't really... Reason that much? I mean, he doesn't have the build. Uh, Key thing: high level, because every young Canadian plays hockey. Okay, well, <laughs> but he did me, go to it at a high level. You're saying, yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. He was no, he was, he was, uh, he was a good, a good player. But then he went, then he got into running, long distance running or medium, medium distance running, uh, and there he was really, really, really super high level. Um, I've seen some data out there. Three minutes uh, fifty-seven, uh, three three minutes fifty-seven seconds mile. Yeah, yeah here in the, uh, the sub four club, yeah, that's huge. Yeah, yeah, and then uh, he was uh, he was also Pan American champion uh, as a junior, um, middle distance, and and you know I mean you can actually you can actually see you know when when and it's not just today. I've, there's been a lot of talks already. He is probably one of the best riders in the peloton when you have to stand up on the bike, like running on the pedals, but really standing up out of the saddle. He's amazing at that. And today that was a good quality. I mean, with that kind of steep, uh, stretches at the end, um, it was, he, I mean, the, the comeback was, was really, it was impressive because he came back from, I think one minute 40 at the bottom of the climb. And, uh, yeah, well, he blew everybody, he blew everybody away. And put in like what, 30 ish seconds. And just in the last K. Or something like that. It was. Yeah, I mean, was pretty obviously, obviously, Matteo Jorgensen was uh, was running out of gas. You know, yeah. it's not he, because finally he didn't he didn't even finish third. The poor guy, being out there for such I mean such an amazing ride and then finishing fourth. Um, so that was also obviously contributing to the possibility of of Michael, which is, was a stage win. But um, do you? So yeah, do you, I mean, do you have a little crystal ball for Jorgensen? of uh his future he's only 24 years old i think jorgensen is an amazing rider in my opinion i like him um 
even if he didn't win the stage today, JB, there was one point where you can really see the high quality of Matteo Jorgensen. He was already out there like for 10 uh, kilometers. Um, first of all, getting away from a breakaway like that is not easy. That's like, you know, there's there's a lot of good guys there. He got away. He got up to 30 seconds and then a little group formed behind with Mahoric, Nilsson Paulus, uh, Burgodo from Total Energy and David de la Cruz. Um, and so those are four, four good riders, but especially Mohoric wanted to really come back, come back. They got up to nine seconds. They cut, they came close to nine seconds. And then, you know, that there was this breaking point where all of a sudden it went back up to 12, 15, and then he just kept going. Uh, and, and the guy, it's a machine, you know, he's, he was just focused, hardly moves on his bicycle and, and just moves forward. And he, he went back out to a minute, you know, to, to fight off a guy like um, Matej Mohoric, you have to have a huge engine. Um, and so, you know, he didn't win the stage, but today he showed that he's he's a big, big, big rider. And um, yeah, I mean, he's he's out of contract with with Movistar, and uh, he, he he's not gonna. I mean, he's not gonna lack offers. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's probably because uh, you can't make it official a transfer before the 1st of August, but it looks like he's going to be on Jumbo Visma next year. They, they also, they also told a little story. I mean, on Belgian TV here about how dedicated of an athlete, uh, Jorgensen is when he was 18 years old, he, he came over to Europe. Uh, I think he raced in France. He was actually on the development team of AG2R who, I don't know why it didn't offer him a contract. So Movistar picked him up. But apparently when he was 18 years old, there's emails out there. He sent emails to all of the different teams who had a development team. Uh, I'm Matteo Jorgensen. I'm this and this. I, you know, I'm, I'm on the national team, the American team. I'm living in Europe. And I would like to be on your development team. Hmm. Uh, all very, very personal. And so he sent them out to everybody. And finally, AG2R picked him up. And that was... The beginning of, uh, I think, an amazing uh, American rider with a huge engine. That's a cool story, and and that was fun to watch today. So uh, now let's talk and about. I was, I was, I was, I was still, you know, I was watching with my son. So we always, whenever Jorgensen is away, we all, we, you know, I, I think I told the story already that you know when when he and his brother were eight and ten years old, and I know this because his mother wrote to me. Um, about this, that he was, he and his brother, they were living in Madrid for a certain period of time. And for one season, he was on the, the, the cycling team of where my son is riding now, mm. um, in Madrid. So we always look with a particular interest to, uh, to Matteo Jorgensen. All right. Now let's jump into the GC battle before we contrast and compare, um, Pogacar and, and Vingegaard. Let's talk about Jumbo Visma as a whole. You've you've had some question marks there watching their tactics. I I, I think uh, you thought they did better today. What what, yes, what, what were you seeing? I think I think they did better. Um, first of all, they they first first thing the break was gone, and they did not try to bring the break back to go for the stage win, which was which is what they have done in in a few other stages. So that's really what. A GC team defending the jersey should do. Breakaway goes, nobody's in there. 
was a threat, let it go. We just set our own tempo, comfortable for us. They used two riders who were not going to be of any use on the last climb anyway. So that was really good. Um, and then when, of course, when the the last climb of Pidido started on the earlier slopes, there was a lot of nerves as usual. Um, and they went to the front, they set a tempo, uh, but it was not a tempo like we saw, like preparing a launch of their leader, like an attack. Uh, it was a hard tempo because, you know, it was, it was Van Aert and it was, and then it was, uh, Kelderman again and, and then Sepp Kuss. Um, but then when Sepp Kuss peeled off, uh, Vingegaard did not attack. They looked around. Obviously they all know. First, if you have Van Aert putting the hurt on, on the group, it's going to be down to 15, 20 riders. And then when Sepp Kusko takes over and pulls for one or two kilometers, it's going to be five. There's not going to be any more. So that was obviously a mission accomplished. And then Vingegaard just did not attack, which I think was very smart because, you know, based on what happened the other day, that would have been a mistake. So um, the team rode better. Vingegaard rode, rode smarter. Um, so we, my my only question is, uh, or my doubt is, did they race this way because they've learned from their mistakes and they think that this is better? Or another possibility could be, did they race this way because they're not sure that Jonas Vingegaard is that strong, is strong enough to drop Pogacar? I think it's trying, the second. Try, trying to avoid them being just the two of them head to head. Right. You're trying to avoid that as long as you can with the with the pacing. Um, I do uh, want to talk more about Sepp Kuss because we've had questions on on the move. Like, what is his goal? Why does why after he does a, a, a strong pull and he's amazing? Why is he not sitting up the way Wout Van Aert does to conserve energy? Uh, what are your theories? What do you think's going on there? Well, we've talked about it already, JB, uh, in, in other occasions. So today again, Sepp Kuss, uh sets the tempo. Then when he goes away, we see him come in, you know, in the, in the, in the top 10. He's now in ninth position in, in the overall. Um, at some point, we have to, you know, probably stop questioning it. I cannot think that there's no reason behind this. There's, yeah, yeah, it's, be, it wouldn't be just random. There's some no. intent there. Yeah, yes, because normally when when a guy like Sepkus is, you know, we all know Sepkus has amazing qualities as uh, the key guy for for the leader in the mountains, in the big mountains, but he has never been a GC rider. So my question is, why do they keep doing this, right? Or why does obviously Sepkus, if he does it, it's because he has the first of all the permission of the team and probably the instruction of the team so my only guess can be that they want to keep sepkus close in case there's a breakaway like for example the one we saw with jay hindley well if sepkus is in there I say okay it's fine for us you know we we have him so it's up to uae and gora or ineos to defend third, fourth, oh, fifth. because he's close enough in GC, it it it's going to force other teams to work. Yeah, I mean, okay. he's only gotcha. I think he's like six minutes something down now, or it could be to really use him as 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 a re, like a satellite rider and say, okay, we we put he goes drastic on a breakaway, 
and we put all the pressure on UAE. We gamble. Now, if you look at the the, the standings, well, the, the answer the answer is very very clear. Well, it's not good enough because UAE has Adam Yates, who's sitting in fifth, who is a good climber and you know arguably a, a more complete all round rider than Sepp Kuss. So there again, you know, if UAE looks at the at this, they say, okay, well, fine, you know, they can have Sepkus there. Well, at the end of the day, it's them who need to have Sepkus put the pace, and whenever they will send him in a break, we'll just put Adam Yates on his wheel, and it's ideal situation for us, mm. right? So without Adam Yates there, that would be, um, but good. Or it may also be that he is doing that. Exactly because Adam Yates is there. You know, we have to pay attention to not criticize Jumbo Visma and the fact that Sepp Kuss is not setting up all the time. If we don't criticize UAE, who are basically doing the same thing with Adam Yates. The only thing is that it's not as obvious because Sepp Kuss is the guy who's leading, 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 setting the pace. And Adam Yates is there to just hang uh, and, and try to be, but, you know, they're doing the same thing, UAE and, and, and Jumbo Visma. They have one second rider, their second best climber. They keep him in the top 10. So we'll mm-hmm. see in the next stages and specifically, you know, like these transition stages, you know, starting, starting with the stage of, of uh, Tuesday, sometimes big groups go, you know, and, and uh, at least, both of those teams have a rider there. So let's say if you have Adam Yates who's sitting in fifth, you have Sepp Kuss sitting in ninth. Well, the guy who's sitting in third and in fourth, which is uh, Jay Hindley and Carlos Rodriguez, they these guys will start to be worried. You know, you have Bora and Ineos, who you could potentially use as allies that they they have to do the help if you have Adam Yates and Sepp Kuss in a breakaway. So I think that's the that's the the strategy behind it. There's I, I can't think of anything else. I know your your brain just goes to all these different levels of of tactics. I and in my mind I thought, well, maybe Sepp said, look, I, I'll bury myself, but I really want a top 10. It's a goal of mine. Can I have that? It doesn't work that way. <laughs> well, it's, it could, but not for Jumbo Visma. No. Yeah. I mean, they cannot have, they cannot have a Sepp Kuss, who also, I mean, obviously, listen, Sepp Kuss, amazing rider. Like the guy, you know, I would always want to have a Sepp Kuss in my team because it's a, you could just build build a cathedral on him. He's so solid, you know? Uh, but in Jumbo Visma, you could not have Vingegaard for yellow, Walt Van Aert, <laughs> right. who is a big champion who wants you know his moment to shine, and then also Sepp Kuss. You know? Right, it doesn't. They work. have done it in the past. They have they have done it. Sepp Kuss has won a stage in the tour while you know being being one of the guys who had to be there. But uh, when they start as the big favorites of the tour for to win the Tour de France with the defending champion, that third ambition. I can I can still understand Walt Van Aert a bit, although I personally would prefer that it's not there that ambition. Uh, but you know you have to manage these these guys and they need to be happy. Uh, but no, there's no place for three 
different <laughs> ambitions. No, I totally understand that. Um, one of the other writers you, I know you wanted to mention that you got, we got a good look at today was Tom Pidcock. You know, Tom Pitcock today was um, incredible, I think. You know, we've never seen him so close in the battle with the big riders. You know, he said before <clears throat> before the tour, um, you know, I really want to see how far I can go. I try to, I want to try to win a stage, but I also want to try to see how far I can go for GC in the future. And today, you know, after nine days, um, he was up there with, you know, the, the, not with not with Jonas in today, uh, but with Simon Yates and with Carlos Rodriguez and um, Jay Hindley. I mean, actually dropped Jay Hindley. Um, so, I mean, really, really nice ride from Tom Pitcock, and and said, as we have said since since a long, long time, you know, Tom Pitcock is an incredible superstar. He's yeah, he, have we have we ever had a. Uh, Tour de France stage win candidate that is also a mountain biking, like mountain biking world champ, not transitioned yeah. out, like still doing both simultaneously. Who was that? Well, some, not simultaneously. No. Okay. We had, we had in the past, we had ex world, ex world champions mountain K bike. Cadell Evans was one. Maybe. Cadell Evans. Yeah. Um, Michael Rasmussen. Um, there were others, there were others who, uh, won stages and who won the tour actually, but they were more riders that transitioned out of mountain biking and onto exactly. the road. Yeah. 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 No, but listen, Pitcock is Olympic champion, current Olympic champion. Yeah. Like this season, this season <laughs> straight after his classes, classes campaign, he went straight into mountain biking, shows up at the first world cup, wins it against all these specialist riders. Then he goes away. Oh, by the way, now I'm going to prepare for the tour. So see you in a few months. Yeah. And, and then we'll come back and do. And then on top of that, he starts and he comes into cyclocross and, you know, ex-world champion cyclocross too. And you know, ex-world ex ex champion time trial as a junior. Uh, it's, 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 today I was incredibly surprised uh, and mostly impressed. With, with Tom Pitcock. That was an amazing ride and for him. The next year is going to be interesting because we've got the, all those championships that are going to be in Ireland, right? Is it Scotland. Ireland? Scotland. Yeah, and, and but they're combining it. There's a lot of them happening instead of one happening over in yeah. this country, another happening. That's going to be exciting to, to have all that action. And then we go into next year with the Olympics in Paris. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, <laughs> well, I mean, we have another guy who's basically good at anything on two wheels, which is Mathieu van der Poel. And I've read, for example, that for the coming world championships, he's going to do both. He's going to do the road. And then, so obviously prepare for the road. Uh, in between, probably his his recovery rides will be on a mountain bike between the end of the tour and the world championships. And then he's going to go straight into the world championships mountain biking because and he needs to do it and needs to perform well to have a spot in the mountain bike uh, for paris for the olympics next year and he's gonna do it and you know at least i mean these guys when they start something like that they most likely obtain what they want mm -hmm. yeah um how would you rate i'm gonna go backwards here a little bit but looking at the momentum of pogachar and and Jonas Vingegaard, who's not on the decline, you know, it's just it just seems like momentum is swinging towards Pogacar. Like, well, today, today a little. I mean, today obviously was not the same 
as for now, if you look at the time gain, it's still Vingegaard who big, you know, did the biggest blow. So the first mountain stage destroyed Pogacar and took uh, a minute. Uh, I don't know how much a minute, a minute ten over him or something. <clears throat> that was that was a big attack and a, and a big loss for Pogacar. Since then, we've seen surprisingly the day after. Pogacar turning things around, dropping um, Jonas Vingegaard. And today, um, although everybody was saying, okay, you know, it's a longer climb, it's better suited for Jonas Vingegaard, today Pogacar blow, gives a, another little blow, a smaller blow, but still eight seconds. It's eight seconds. Uh, I think especially the mental, the mental blow. Um, let's not forget, you know, if you if you look, even if, if Vingegaard has taken that minute in the first mountain stage, what happened in the next one and today, Pogacar dropping Jonas Vingegaard on a climb has not happened once last year. Not once. You know, at least Vingegaard was always able to stay with Pogacar. Pogacar did take some bonification, but Jonas dropped him two times, big time, you know, on, on the Col de Granon and on um, uh, Otakam. Um, so two times with with several minutes. So combining that with the you know knowing that Pogacar didn't come into this tour with the ideal preparation, but yet has managed to get to a super high level, and then thinking uh, thinking back on the fact that Jonas Vingegaard was top 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 in the Dauphiné Libre already, it's like you know the 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 curves are crossing each other. Like, yeah. You know, Jonas is like this. Peak. <laughs> and so Vingegaard obviously cannot get any any higher, so he needs to keep it. And then on the other hand, you have Pogacar who's coming like this more. So it's when when it crosses here, it just <laughs> depends how far Pogacar can keep going. Yeah. Um, for the moment, it's uh you know, time-wise, it's still advantage Vingegaard mentally. Definitely advantage Pogacar. Definitely. Yeah, I bet the press is tough too. You know, when you're like he's in yellow, he's in the lead. But I bet that the way having to sit down and 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 the questions are 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 questioning your own form. You mm -hmm. know, it, that's that's got to be difficult. I mean, I know these guys are mentally tough. Obviously, yeah. But still, you don't want to hear negative questions. You want because you usually sit there post race and it's all praise. You're in yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Well, now I mean, now you have you have. I mean, that's that's the ir irony of the of this the whole situation. Now, Vingegaard is the leader of the tour. He is in yellow, um, but yet the questions he's getting is, "Oh, are you are you scared? Is 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 <laughs> Pogacar coming? Is he coming for you? It looks like he's coming better and better. Uh, you were able to drop him last year a lot more. What's happening after the stage, but especially also tomorrow and on the rest day." You know, if if you look at the situation, Pogacar is now 17 seconds down. He's gonna do a he's gonna do a press conference, but he doesn't have to if he doesn't want to, right? So uh, he can be relaxed. Uh, the yellow jersey, it's kind of I mean, there's no written rule, but it's it's an it's an unwritten rule that the yellow jersey has to do a press conference. Mm -hmm. He doesn't need to move; he can stay at his hotel, but all the press is coming there, right? And they're going to start asking the questions tomorrow, you know, so you have, he will have the whole day 
thinking, hey, maybe what they're asking me is true. You know, what 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 yeah. if? Um, especially there's one thing that I'm taking away from today, uh, more than the time gain and seeing Pogacar attack. And you know what? Ving Jonas Vingegaard, he 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 couldn't follow, but he stayed where he was, you know. It was five seconds, seven seconds, eight seconds, stayed there. So it's it was quite even, but the mask, the suffer mask that Jonas Vingegaard was wearing. Uh, Pogacar was suffering too, and you could see it. He was giving his everything. But I have not seen this last year from Jonas Vingegaard, this, ah, this really like marked facial expression uh, when he comes over the finish. Um, so, yeah, we'll see. I mean, uh, for the moment, JB, what's clear is that they are very equal. Um, you know, I have a little a little stat here. We talked last uh, in stage five about Jonas Vingegaard going up the Col de Marie Blanc at 6.92 watts per kilo um, for the last, um, for, I think, for the last four kilometers. Um, obviously, Pogacar a lot less, which was not his normal level. Well, today, and, and I think I then said. It's impossible for anybody to go faster than this. Well, that that was not, that that didn't age very well. <laughs> um, today, Pogacar, the last fifteen minutes on the on the Prix de Dome, did seven watts per kilo. It's just wow. crazy. It's just crazy. But you know, it's, they're so close to each other um, that hey, maybe we're going to see the uh the decision and and hopefully in the time trial that would be the best that's maybe, i know i, I was gonna bring the, maybe it's the bonifications yeah i, I was gonna bring up the time trial and you hate to get ahead of yourself but refresh our memory historically i mean i know there's flatter time trials and, and climbing time trials but how did the two stack up because they're they're pretty they're even very, right? very equal very wow. equal uh last year jonas beat pogacar in the last time trial Pogacar was on the down. Um, Jonas was at a very high level. Um, the tour before, um, I think Vingegaard lost like 30 seconds, probably 30, 40 seconds on, on Pogacar in 2021. Um, but they're very equal. And this is a hard time trial. So it's it's going to be really, it's, it has nothing to do with who's the best specialist. It's definitely going to be who has the best legs. So yeah, I mean, st we still have to have the Alps, and um, until we get there, we have a few stages that are really, really hard. I've heard today that Vingegaard says, "Yeah, well, my terrain are the Alps. Those are longer; they're higher." Um, last year that was true, you know, but the year before it wasn't because you know Pogacar was. Uh, so he's going to have to find now a few reasons to get upbeat again. Uh, not, not, we're not saying that he's on the down, right? I mean, it's just that there's so little difference, but it's incredible to see how after stage five, everybody is saying, okay, Vingegaard is impressive. We, we did, we said the same thing. He's on such a good level and Pogacar is not his usual self. So the tour is for Jonas. We're talking a different story now. <laughs> so, all right. 
We're heading into uh, a rest day, which and if you've been listening to this show for a while, we've, most writers don't like a rest day, although this has been a very tough first week, a very difficult opening week. So maybe it's different this year. Uh, and then you, I remember just earlier this morning, we opened it up and looked at the stage 10 profile and, you know, Lance was like, whoa, that's a, that's a hard one right after a rest day. It is, it is, uh, if you look at the profile, if I'm a writer, I mean, I, my, me, myself, my, I have this terrible, horrible experience of my first tour and my first rest day and a similar stage the day after. It was unbelievable. I mean, I, be, I had no experience with how to deal with a rest day. You know, didn't do much. <clears throat> and uh, I mean, I, I, was, uh, I was having such a bad time. It's, it's, you know, it was all the way, all the time in the back, suffering, suffering. So it's the rest day. I think everybody's happy that it's a rest day. It's just how can you get through a rest day um, the best possible way to be ready for that stage, for that the, the, the next stage. Um, and not everybody reacts the same to, because basically you're now nine days in a row, your body is in a routine. It's under pressure. So it's the same thing in the morning. You wake up, you know, you, you, you go to breakfast on the bus, do the race. Same. All of a sudden, tomorrow that rhythm is broken. You know, it's like you're not gonna wake up at the same time. You're gonna you're gonna have breakfast, but you know, relaxed. Then you're gonna go ride, and then you're gonna take a nap. They all they're all gonna take a nap, all of them, and then you you have a relaxed dinner and 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 go to bed. So the the, day, the morning after, you can you can some people really really feel that. It depends. It depends uh, how they can how they can manage the the rest day and. Um, anyways, nowadays, you know, they, they know so much more in terms of science and how, you know, the body recovers that, uh, it's probably a whole lot different. I, I remember when I did the first time the Tour de France, you know, we had an old year who told us, yeah, you know, you have to be careful on the rest day because, you know, I worked with this guy 20 years ago and he was, you know, you couldn't walk around and you, you know, you had to be either riding or laying down, you know? Um, so that, that was back then. Now, of course they have it all figured out and, uh, but it's, it's a hard stage the day after rest day. And you think this sets it up for a breakaway? Oh, for sure. Yeah. There's no, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah. It, this cannot be, first of all, sprinters, it's way too hard. And, uh, it's GC teams. No, nah, no, nah, this is, this is a breakaway day for, for really, strong guys who have lost some time already. Okay. And then I'm going to remind people again, uh, check out outcomes. That's where you'll hear Johan and Spencer throw out a lot of the names on these breakaway days. And it might be, sometimes it's a name or you, you, you haven't even thought about in the tour. You're like, Oh wait, that name hasn't been mentioned or I haven't seen him on TV. And you guys pick them for these breakaway days. It's, it's, it's really good and entertaining. Well, from stuff. now on, from now on JB, you know, after nine days, uh, stage 10, starting at stage, stage 10, these kind of stages, we're going to see a lot of the same names. These are the guys who still, I mean, first of all, they're not going for GC. They've looked, they've waited, they've, they've been patient and they've saved something in the tank for these kind of stages. We're going to see a lot of the same names now going okay. in breakaways. All right. Hey, real quick. Uh, and I've got a question I was supposed to ask you yesterday. We'll get to that. But uh, first, our Ventum Tour Trivia of the Day. All right. 
and uh, be ready to write down this email so you can send in your answer. Ventum will be giving away an NS1, the road bike, a complete bike at the end of the tour. Whoever gets the question right on each day, you go into a drawing, they draw one each day, and then it will go into the final day. So uh, yesterday's question, just for fun, was uh, who won the first edition of the Tour de France after World War II? Did you know that answer by chance? Or did you I even did look not. it up, Johan? I did, I did not. I did it, not. Was, it was won in 1947 by Jean Robic. Jean Robic, wow. Jean Robic of France won that's, in 1947. That's a special. I mean, I know that. I mean, I know the name because if you look up pictures from uh, back in the days, he was a, a really tiny guy, bald, and one of the very only, maybe the only, the only rider who ride with a helmet, like those, the, the leather. The helmet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I bet he had a cool tan on his bald head then. Definitely. <laughs> and today's question is who is the youngest winner of the tour de France youngest ever youngest I'll you, ever I'll give you a hint it was a long time ago it was in uh -huh. the early 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 days uh -huh. yeah okay but if you're playing along to try to win the bike you can go look it up that doesn't matter amazing get, amazing, amazing opportunity to win a great bike right um, get the answer however you want and email your answer in to trivia at ventumracing.com all right good luck one question for you today johan because we're going into a rest day ourselves <laughs> you, you even get the day off from outcomes um and and, and you're going to have a great la movida again because of of pena's anniversary yeah. of his win yeah. that's going to be fun but the question I, I was supposed to ask you yesterday because we did it on the move and, uh, and I goofed, but we'll do it today. What has been, in your opinion, Johan, the most significant cycling technological advancement of the past 25 years? That was from David. Cycling technological advancement. Um, hmm. Well, I mean, I think, I think they're referring to something on a bike or in general. I would... Uh, you know, I don't know for sure. I'll say in general, in general, well, I have, because because you know Lance Lance mentioned like aero bars. So let's make it in general. It doesn't have to be. A piece I think of I'm thinking about two things. I have two two answers. One is really bike specific. Bike specific for me. Let me think. The last 25 years, I have to be. I mean, have to be careful because 2023. Uh, yeah, yeah. It's it's just a few years before. You know, just let's say the last 30. <laughs> um, for me, the, one of the big changes was the, the STI uh, sh change, shifting. Oh, you know, when, when, I, when, when I started cycling, it was, it was down to down to yeah. right? I mean, even uh, even the first tours, tours of France, like uh, the first time. Uh, it's actually exactly 30 years ago my, when I won my first stage in the Tour de France. I still had down tube shifting. Um, so I think that's, that's a huge change that, that was, you know, it was not just down tube shifting. How many gears were you running on the, on the rear cog at that time? Um, I think we had eight then. Okay. You know? Not bad. Uh, yeah. But biggest yeah, probably being a 23 most of the time. <laughs> well, most of the time, you know, we, we wrote 23, 25, uh, that was it. No, never, no, never, never, <laughs> never smaller than 25. Never. Yeah. Uh, so I think that was, that's a big change because that changed your way of riding. And, you know, if you would ask a cyclist nowadays, 
to go on a bike, they would not be able to shift. It, it, you know, it, it's just completely different game. But I think though, you know, the biggest change, and especially in the last 10 years, for me, the biggest change in cycling is the use analysis and study of data. You know, they measure everything nowadays. They're able to measure everything with any kind of device. You can, I, I remember when I started, you know, was, I, 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 I knew the introduction of the heart rate monitor. That was the only thing we could measure before we had this, we had a speedometer and distance and that was it. So heart rate, but nowadays it's not just, uh, you know, getting a power meter, but you can measure anything, how you sleep, how you recover, how many calories you've burned, what kind of nutrition you need for recovery. Uh, during this, during the stage, they know exactly how many carbohydrates per every 30 minutes. Um, and then also in, you know, the, using the data in the detection of talent early on. I think that's a huge, huge change uh, be- before, you know, you had to really make it on your own means through the, all the categories. And then when you were a good under 23 rider and somebody remarked you, you maybe got a chance in a pro team. Now they can, with the data, they can detect the talent a lot earlier. Sometimes even before they have results in races, they already know. Um, who they, they know what the engine under the hood is like, and exactly. then they can, they can form it into the type of rider they want. Yeah, exactly. Or, or and be. also the fact, and also the fact, I mean, we all know it through our children, you know, this generation has grown up with data. This is their backyard mm. and anything they do is based on data. It's not based on how they feel. It's based on what they see and what they can measure. And there's, you know, there's, for me, there's one simple rule in life is that anything you can measure, you can improve on. Otherwise, you can't train to get better if you can't measure it, right? Mm. Nowadays, they can measure anything. So you can can try to improve on anything. So I think that's the biggest, um, biggest advance in, in cycling, in all sports, but in cycling. You know, I asked both Lance and George that question, and I think both of their answers took a total of about 45 seconds. So mm. okay. <laughs> I, well, I appreciate what, the what in-depth did they say? What, what did they say? I, I think Lance mentioned aero bars. Well, aero, aero, it, bars, aero bars is definitely way, way more than, that's the 89. Yeah, and power meters, power meters. Power meters, that's power meters. That's probably 93, 94. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean SDI, I'm I'm up there with them. So I get I get a <laughs> I just, on that. I just appreciate your detailed answer is what I, where I was going with that. Uh, if you have a question for Johan on a future show, I can try to catch up on the rest day with a lot of your questions. Trying to squeeze them in where I can, but just send it to JB Square, JB2 at we team. Johan, enjoy your rest day. What do you have? Do you have anything planned? Are you still in Belgium? Uh, I'm still in Belgium, so I'm gonna take uh, the opportunity to visit some family. I mean, nice. uh, I, anytime I'm shortly in Belgium, I I have to run around to go see people, so I'm gonna do that tomorrow. Have some good, tasty beers for me too. Okay, you're there. All right, all right. We'll talk uh, after after on Tuesday. We'll be back uh, after Tuesday, stage we're ten. Back. We're, we're back for stage ten. Yeah. All right. Thanks, Johan. Okay. Thanks, JB. 